0: So I want to ask you, what was your last fight? Think about when you had a, a, a fight with someone, whether it's your spouse, whether it's someone at work, whether it's a family member. Um, think about the fight. What were you fighting over it? What, what was the fight about? What was it about? Who was to blame? All the wives are going. He was. But who was to blame in the fight? Or can we really say someone is to blame? Who gave in first? Are you one of those people when you have a fight who gives in first, who you're the first one to say sorry? If not, why not? What could you have done to stop the fight? Like there's something in there when you're fighting, you know that I could stop this right now. But there's something inside of us that chooses not to. And this morning, I want to look at that. And James is going to talk to us about that, about proving it that we're actually believers. We actually say what we believe when it comes to personal relationships. And he's talking about in the church. And what I want to be part of a, of a church that cares for each other. Like Steve says, family. And families, we fight. But what happens in families is families don't take go apart. They stay together because we're family. And so often it's easy just to have a disagreement with someone within the church, and you just leave and you never come back. It's happened. It's happened at Urban Grace. It's going to happen again. But what we want to do is we want to, this morning, and Pastor James goes through something, and I think he's going to teach us some good things about what it means... And why we have fights, why we have quarrels, and it's very, very interesting. So, we're in the book of James. It's it's been a, a great series. It's probably one of the hardest-hitting books in all of all of the Bible. It's one of the earliest books that were written, mid forties uh, AD. So, like within like ten to twelve years of Jesus being on Earth. And some people say, well, well, we just want to go back to being like that that New Testament church. You know what? That New Testament church is a lot like the North American church today. And you're going to find out as we read it. You see, what's happened is these, these Christians have been pushed aside. They've been exploited by Gentiles. They're persecuted. They, they, they've been hauled into court. They've been treated very, very poorly. They've been favoring rich people. They've been forgetting about what Scripture they said. They're, for, they're forgetting the gospel. They're saying nasty stuff about each other. They're jealous of each other. There's bitter uh, jealousy. There's selfish ambition. There's disorder. There's vile practices going on within the church just a few years after Jesus left. So, what's going on? You see, James is a good pastor because he, he goes for the root, he goes for the sin beneath the sin. Now I don't know about you, but but when you when someone is, does something wrong and they just say, "Well, just just stop it, just don't do it." Maybe you've seen that the Bob Newhart counseling session where he tells he's sitting with a woman and he says, "I've got two words for you to, to help you counsel: stop it." And that's great and easy to understand. Just stop doing it. But that doesn't help us when we're tempted again. When that comes up again, that just modifies our behavior and I think where James wants to go as the good pastor that he is is he wants to get to the root of things. He wants to get to the to the sin beneath the sin. And that's what we're going to look at today. Today I want to look at gospel saturation instead of simply behavior modification. And so often we've been told if we want to change our behavior just change it. And we don't we just so we change the external but we don't get to the root of, of the cause. So it's like this. If someone has a problem with their spouse and there's some abuse going on, you get a restraining order. And that keeps one of the partners safe. But it doesn't fix the problem. If someone has a problem with lust on the computer, you can put filters on there. But that doesn't fix the problem. It maybe stops it. If you have a problem with debt, you can say, oh, I'm just gonna cut up my credit cards. But it doesn't get to the root of why you're tr- racking up debt. Why do you have to spend so much money? If you're angry, you can't just say, well, well, you know what, I'm just gonna go get a punching bag and that's gonna help my anger. Well, it may help and that may be a good thing. And all of these things, if you if you do, may be good things, but they're still not getting to the root of the issue. And that's this morning that I think James wants us as a church to look at. Uh, turn with me to James chapter four. And and we're going to look at, we're going to go go through it um, section by section. But James chapter 4, we're going to look at verses 1 to 12 this morning. James says this. James says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have. So you murder, you covet and cannot obtain. So you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. You see, he's talking about the quarrels and fights and he's literally saying there's wars going on among you. There's wars and I don't know if, if you have kids what it's like when your kids fight. We hate it. Like we had kids, you know, we have three boys and so our two oldest, they were really close together and they would fight Like we literally thought that we would never ever have a family gathering together when the kids grew up, because they just like they were at like cat and dog, and we could just say simply to our our sons, they could just say sorry, and they're they say sorry, and then five minutes five minutes later they're punching each other saying they're sorry. So we would do lots of stuff. We we would actually for a time we took everything away from them and we put them down in our unfinished basement and they had to live together. And like, they were so stubborn, it lasted like weeks. But, it, but again, it's, it, we're trying to get to the, you, you got to learn to get along with each other. But we can't just say stop it and just say sorry, because it doesn't work. It works for the second we Okay, we feel good, but we go back to there. And, and that's what James is trying t- to get at. He goes, why, why are you having these, these fights? He answers it. It's a rhetorical question. He says, it's at the passions that are, that are at war within you, because it's our selfishness. He says you have these passions. Sorry. Is it okay? Okay. Um, I don't think I was jumping that much. I know I'm excited, but that's... He says that it's because of the passions that are at war within. And the words that's used here for passions is a word in the Greek called hedone, which we get our word hedonism from. It's like people were going along and then going, whatever makes me happy is what is going to happen. And if someone gets in my way, who cares? It's about me. And that was happening in the early church. Does that ever happen with you in fights and quarrels that you have? You make it about yourself. You don't want to give in because you, why? You don't want to lose. You want to win. They're wrong. You're right. You want something so bad, you don't care if you step over people in order to get it. That's what was happening within this church. The reality is is they were fighting because they believed the fundamental lie that they needed something more in order to be happy. They were fighting because they believed they needed something more in order to be happy. Now James is talking to Christians here. These are people that say I believe in Jesus. I have followed Jesus and yet this is going on within their church. They weren't believing the gospel. They weren't believing the good news. They believed that there was something more. The reality is is a lot of their life did suck. They were getting persecuted. They were losing their jobs because they were Christians. As they were dispersed, they weren't getting taken in by their Jewish brothers and sisters. Why? Because they were a Christian. And I'm sure they're saying, this is not fair. This sucks. And the reality is, if your life does not suck right now, it will in the future at some time. And what you're going to have to do is go back to the truth and the goodness of the gospel. It's the only antidote that we have. And when we say good news, it's good news because it answers questions, every question that we have in our life. It answers all of our questions about being happy, about being satisfied. It's the truth. You see, I don't know where you're at, but but do you need stuff to be happy? If you could have something right now, if I had this, then I would be happy. What what, what is the blank for you? And we all want to say Jesus because it's, we're in church. But what is that for you, really? If I had this, then I would be truly happy. If I had more money? If I had a spouse? If I had a better job? If I lived in a better house? Maybe if, when, I, when we get a house, then we're going to be okay. When I get that job, that promotion, whatever it would be, you see, when, we, when we're doing that, we're believing a lie. You see, let's go back to the first fight that we find in the Bible, Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve lived in the garden. Everything's perfect. Like, you take the most beautiful, tropical picture that you've got. Picture yourself in there, naked with your wife. As a man, I mean, naked with your husband, if you're a woman. You don't have to work you got a relationship with God that you just totally chill with and it's just awesome because you talk to him all day long and it's just it's really cool. And he says one thing, just because I, I want you to know that you're not in charge, that I'm in charge. There's one tree that you can't, you can't eat from. That's it. Now, we were in Banff yesterday. Now, the rule was one tree, like really, one, that's all I got to do is not eat from that one tree and I get a, I have all of this. Yes, absolutely. But you see, Adam and Eve didn't believe that God was good. They didn't believe that he was truth, truthful. So the serpent comes and d- begins to deceive them. Did God really say? You know, if you eat that apple, life or the fruit, life will be better for you. So they took the apple. Eve took the apple. She ate it, gave it to her husband, who's right there, says nothing. And then what begins to happen? What does Adam first say? He goes to hide. God says, where are you? And what does he do? He begins to blame his wife. It's that woman you gave me. She blames the serpent. We start blaming. We start fighting with each other. Why? Because we didn't take God at his word. That's what was happening in this church. They weren't believing that God was actually good. The story of of David and Bathsheba. David was this king. He was the greatest king that Israel ever had. And he was a very successful king. But he got a little lazy later on in life. And, as he was hanging out at the palace when everyone else is at war, he was checking out some hot girl that was showering. He goes, "Wow, she is hot. I want her." He gets his servants to bring her back to his place. He has sex with her, they have she gets pregnant, and then he decides that he's got to, the husband he's got to get rid. of. this is not going to look good." so he brings the husband back, tries to make the husband have a knight with his wife, he refuses because he's, he's an upright guy. So David sends him to battle in the front lines to be killed. You see, when we have needs in our life that we think are going to be met in any other place other than God, we do crazy stuff. David was called a man after God's home, one of the greatest kings, and that's what he did. So what are we capable of? When we are not truly believing that God is enough, that we need more. You see, what's the result of living this way? The result is unanswered prayer. And when we, don't have, when we have unanswered prayer, we have disappointment with God. He doesn't listen to my prayers. But James says, you guys are asking for the wrong stuff. You're just selfish. Of course he's not going to answer that stuff. It's like if you're a parent and your kid asks for cereal every meal of the day. Or asked to eat his Halloween candy instead of the meals. You're gonna say no, that's gonna kill you. It's going to, you're gonna be a diabetic and your teeth are gonna rot out and fall, are gonna rot and fall out. So you're not gonna allow your kid to do that. It's the same way with God. But then you begin to go, God doesn't, you don't wanna pray because he doesn't, he doesn't answer your prayers. What's your prayer life like? You see, when we pray, even if we're pray, praying for the wrong stuff, prayer sometimes purifies your heart because you start praying for things, you go, I can't believe I'm, I'm actually praying for that. How selfish is that? And when, we, when you know other needs that are greater that we should be praying for. You see, it's not that, that God doesn't want us to enjoy life. He's, it's not about the passions. It's, it's, the, it's the idea that the, there's a world out there that is against God. And we're believing that the world has the truth and the world has the life that we're looking for. And it's not true. You see, Satan never created any Pleasure. He just comes to kill, steal, and destroy all the pleasure and all the good things that God has made. He's came to come to twist that. And he's telling us, and he's telling us lies, and that's why this fighting was happening within this church. He goes on, verse 4. He says, You adulterous people. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? You know, this is the Bible. This is, a path. this is Jesus' half-brother saying this to his people. Back in chapter one, he called these people his beloved brothers, beloved brothers and sisters. And now he's sending them this letter. He's telling them, you adulterous people, you see, what he's saying there is he's saying the way you are treating God is the same way if there was a wife or a husband that would go and cheat on their spouse and the hurt that that brings. Throughout the Old Testament, the metaphor was always used of Israel as, as, as being uh, God's like, bride. In the New Testament, it's the bride, but, but she was like the wife of, of God. And marriage, when we see marriage, marriage, Paul tells us in Ephesians that a marriage is the, is the, it's the mystery of marriage, but it shows us between what the church is and Jesus. And he says this strong, strong language to his people. He wants to get their attention from beloved brothers to adulterous people. Now, you could take that metaphor and you could run with it of what you would call someone. And this is probably nicer than, he, than it would have been actually in the, in, in the Greek when he said it. But how tough is that language? He says, the, your friendship with the world is like if you had a husband or a wife that would go and have an affair with someone else. That is how much it hurts God. That's what we're doing. And I don't want us to, to quickly run over that. This is serious. He goes on, he says, therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Now listen, friends. James is calling the people that he called beloved brothers, adulterous people, and now he's calling them an enemy of God. You see, in Romans 5, 10, Paul talks about this. And he said, in the past tense that you were once enemies of God and you're no longer because you hadn't accepted Christ. And, he, and he's saying to people here, you could be an enemy of God if you have friendship with the world. But he's, he's talking to the Christian church. But, but what I think he's doing here, now don't, don't miss this. I believe he's believing there's people in the church that think they know Jesus, but they don't. They think they, they're saved because they've done the right things. They go to church, they pray to prayer went to, at summer camp or whatever, or however they did it then. But I want you to know, if, 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 if you aren't really, if God's not a really big deal, but you say you're a Christian, I want to ask you, are you truly saved? Like, this is hard words that James is saying. That's what he said at the beginning of chapter 3, that you should, none of you should be teachers. It's hard to say that to people. You may not be saved. You think you're saved. That's what James is telling his people. Because there's there's nothing in their life that's showing that that they actually love Jesus. And again, it's not about having pleasure. I think Christians should be the most happy, fun, pleasurable people. But not in things of the world. The that I was reading asked this question. And I don't want you just to skip over these questions. Are you a better friend with the world or with Jesus today than a year ago? Are you a better friend with the world or with Jesus today than you were a year ago? Where do we answer that? Where does your primary pleasure come from? What is your primary source of pleasure? And the last question is, how would Jesus answer that question for you? Like as I was preparing this, I was sitting in Starbucks last night and just weeping, as I asked myself these questions. And I, don't, I, I wish I could tell you that oh yeah, it's way better. Some is and some isn't, and, I'm, and uh, I and spent some time confessing. Not that there's any big sin in but priorities and passions. Friends, I want us to be serious about this because James is serious about this. Verse 5 says, Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? You see, interpreters can look at this two ways. They can look at this one way that, that he's talking about the jealousy that comes within and we, we're jealous of others, or we can interpret it that this is God's spirit that is jealous. And I believe, and there's a lot to go into there, but but I'm just going to say, ask me to j- trust me on this. I, I believe as I've studied this, it's it's God's jealousy for his people. It's God's jealousy for his people. Because je- and it's not a jealousy like we get with somebody. It's a jealousy because he loves us so much. It's a, it's a righteous, perfect jealousy. Why? First John 4, 19 says this, because we love because he first loved us, because we're just dearly loved. You see, if you're, if you're saying, I don't know where I'm at with those questions. I think I actually do love the world a little more than I love Jesus now than a year later. The reality is, is, the lie is that we've, we're finding that our needs can be met in someplace else but Jesus. That our hopes, that our dreams, that our passions, that our, that our desires are met in someplace outside of Jesus. And I'm not saying that we, we don't have fun. Like, don't ever hear me say that. I believe that all things are created to, to be glorifying to God. So whatever, whatever things we have, whether it's our marriage, or whether it's, it's things we've been blessed, we, we use that for the glory of God to enjoy and we give praise back to God. But it's not the ultimate He goes on, he says this, verse 6. But he gives, wait a second, before we go to verse 6. I don't know where you're at with those questions. And I've been just really praying that the Spirit would just would, would, would deal with each one of us like he's been dealing with me on these questions. You may say, yeah, you know what? I, I, the answer is I love the world more than I love Jesus. There it is. There it is. And right now Satan's telling that you're so bad and you're horrible and how could you do that? You suck as a Christian, you should never do this and you can't be loved. Those are all lies from the evil because he's the father of lies. But I want us to look at verse six and what he says. He says, but he gives more grace. More grace and that please deserves an amen. There it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. He gives more grace, 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 grace. Ephesians 4 16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Now, that is good news. No matter where you've been in the last year, if you answered, Man, I'm closer to the world than with Jesus, I want to tell you the good news is there's more grace. There's more grace. Never exhausts itself. Matt, can you put that one picture up? I love how Trevor gives us pictures to remember Niagara Falls. I want you to picture of God's grace as Niagara Falls. It's 180 feet high. There's two falls actually. There's the American Falls and there's the Canadian Horseshoe Falls. The volume of water on the U.S. side is 150,000 gallons per second that goes over that fall. The Canadian side is 600,000 U.S. gallons per second that goes over the falls. Or if you... Canadian two million two hundred seventy-one thousand two hundred forty-seven liters per second. They say it's been happening for twelve thousand years, and I'm not going to get into old Earth, new Earth, but they say it's been happening. But you just think of that: if you went over the falls, and you're going, "Oh, it's going to stop soon. It's going to stop." No, it's not going to stop. God's grace is never going to stop, no matter what we've done. It's He gives more grace. He gives more, and that's what that's what James is telling his people: You guys, there's more grace. It's never going to be exhausted." No, that is good news. There's more grace no matter what we've done. He goes on. How do I get that? How do I get more grace? I want that. I want more grace. He says it in verse 7. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. You see, if, that, if your answer was, I, I actually, you know what? I'm farther away from God. I don't love Jesus as much as I did last year. I love the world. I love my stuff a little more. What he says here is, there's more grace. But he says, if you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. That's so unlike so many of our friendships, isn't it? So many, think of the the people that you've had arguments and fights with that you're you're now disenfranchised from. you're, You're not friends anymore. You want to draw near to them and yet they don't draw near to you. God's not like that. If you draw near to him, he will draw near to you. So wherever you're at, that's a promise. He says, "Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded." So first of all, what do we need to do? We need to submit. Submit and say, "I need a savior. I've messed it up. I can't be my own savior. The things that I'm pursuing are not bringing me joy and happiness. The pleasures that I'm seeking aren't giving me the pleasure that I actually thought." Resist the devil. The devil is trying to destroy you. He's telling you and luring all of us to say, if you do this, you will enjoy and experience love. You'll experience fulfillment. You'll experience the peace that you're always looking for. It's a lie. Satan doesn't do anything good. He kills, steals, and destroys. And Jesus, Jesus came to bring us life and to bring it to the full abundantly. And see, but we keep forgetting that. We keep forgetting that. You see, this resisting the devil, it's, it's a military reference. Literally, it's it's hand-to-hand combat. It's, it's not easy. Resisting the devil is not easy. You need to fight. But we've got all of the, the things that we need to fight with. He says, draw near to God and you'll have more grace. Cleanse your hands, stop it, purify your hearts. It's basically saying, yeah, okay, if you're here, you need to turn. You need to change direction. Ask for forgiveness. I don't want to do that anymore. Here he says, double-minded, literally two-souled. Why is he saying this? Again, if you have no passion for Jesus and yet you think you're saved, I I want to challenge that. I think James is challenging us in that. Because he's, he's calling these people sinners, and he's calling them too-souled. You don't call Christian brothers and sisters that. So I believe that he, he believed in the church that he was talking to, that there were people there that actually thought that they were saved, but they really weren't. And friends, if that's you here today, I pray that you would say, that's me. And you're willing to say, I, I want to make sure that I know Jesus. I want him to change the affections of my heart. Jesus said it in Matthew 5 He said, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. James goes on in verse 9. he says, be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. He's not saying that all Christians need to be emo. He's not saying that. He's not saying that we can't have fun. What he's saying is you need to be devastated over your sin. You need to confess your sin and realize how much of an offense that is to God. And so often we're so close to the world that we we don't take offenses that that Jesus actually died for. Are you grieved by your sin? Are you grieved by your sin? Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. So if you are deeply sorry for the sin, that you did, God will comfort you. You just got to say, I, I admit, I need a Savior. The stuff that I'm, that I'm following isn't helping me, isn't bringing the joy and satisfaction that I need. And then he ends off, verses 11 and 12, he says, do not speak evil against one another's brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? You see, people always quote Jesus as saying, you know, uh, don't judge lest you be judged. And that's just a way of saying, uh, I want to do what I want to do and don't talk to me. And what he's talking about here, he's not talking about that. We are called to judge. We have the word of God here to show what's true and what's not true. But he's forbidding slander in the speech that runs someone's down, even if it's true, because that's what they were doing in his church. And just because something is true doesn't mean that we can say it, because it'll hurt somebody. Christian duty is to exercise judgment. You see, when when Jesus was saying that, that judge not, that you'd be judged, he's talking about those that that haven't taken the log out of their own eye yet. So look at yourself first. Christian duty is to exercise judgment. We're told in Matthew by Jesus in 7.15 that to beware of the false prophets and judge by the standard of God. James himself was judging his church. He called them adulterers. He says, you guys are fooling around in the world, and you gotta stop it. So the reality is is that we need to call out sin. That's the loving thing to do when you see someone sinning and their life's being destroyed, that they're listening to the evil one of Satan, telling them lies. You have to step in. And a lot of times it doesn't go well. I've had these interventions. They don't go well. They either go really well or they go really bad. And it comes down to the person's heart of whether they're willing to be restored. So this morning I want to I want to end off um, with helping us deal with how do we how do we work in the church? How do we deal with our lives when when things don't go the way we want? The reason why we have conflicts and quarrels is because we've got passions within us that are warring against each other. We're believing a lie. And, and I wanna I want to leave you with this is the question, I want to ask you a question here. Can you go to the next slide? Is what are you not believing about the gospel? Because I believe we get in quarrels and we get in fights because we stop believing the truth about the gospel. And if you go back to the, the last slide, there, you see these are just four things that I ask when I coach church planners and pastors. I ask this all the time; it's my go-to question: of What are you not believing about the gospel? What are you believing that God's not good? That you that you believe having this sin is gonna is gonna actually uh, give you happiness? What is it that you're believing about the glory of God that somehow you've got to feel feared people rather than just fear God? If you've got this great relationship with God, why do you need to fear other people? Because God is glorious. And He says He has more grace for you. Why do you need to fear them? We you think, well, I've, I've, I've messed up. I, I've, I answered yes to that question of, of wanting, of loving the world more than Jesus. God is gracious. Grace and more grace and more grace, just like Niagara Falls. So you don't have to look elsewhere. God is good. God is gracious. In your situation, that your God is great. You don't need to be in control. God's got it covered. And finally, that God is good. We don't have to look anywhere else. And if you look to problems or trials in your life, There is not one question, one problem that you have that those don't answer when you actually go to the gospel. But what it does, it takes away our excuses to be angry. It takes away our excuses to be in fights. It takes away our excuses to sin the way we want to sin. Because the truth is, whatever sin that we have, the gospel addresses it. You could say, well, stop doing that, but then we want to go to the sin beneath that sin. What are we truly not believing about the gospel? Not believing that God is glorious, that God is gracious, or that God is great, we can't fix our problems, or that God is good. You see, all of our problems stem from not believing those, those four truths. I've tried it in every situation, and what it does for me, it says, I have no excuse. I have no excuse. And what we do as a family is we lovingly ask this question. What are you not believing about the gospel? Why are you believing that this is going to bring you joy, that this is going to solve the problem? Why are you believing that you need to do that in order to be happy? It's not true. These four statements have changed my life, the way I, the way I see things, that, that the gospel isn't just about the way to stay out of hell and get to heaven. It's the way to live life, to live, live life with power, it's the only way that we as a church are not going to quarrel and fight with each other because we're bringing it back to Jesus and what Jesus actually accomplished on the cross for us. You see, the people in James' church, they weren't believing the truth about the gospel. They thought that there was something more. If they had more, if they, had, if they were a teacher, if they had more prestige, then they'd be okay. It's all lies. Friends, I want to tell us that we have all we need. So I don't know where you're, where you're at today. But I, I hope, I've been praying that the Spirit would speak through the words that James wrote 2,000 years ago. That you would believe in the gospel. But we need to make a plan. You can't just say, yeah, that was, yeah, that hit me and, I, and, and leave it. And what I'm asking for us is to be specific you see, when we, when we want to get out of debt, you say, okay, I'll cut up my credit cards and we're going to, you know, amalgamate our debt and we're going to start paying off X amount per month and we're going to be disciplined in that. Or if you want to lose weight, you're okay, I'm going to get rid of the bad stuff in my house. I'm going to get an app. I'm going to exercise it. You make a plan. You're going to build a house or you're going to do a renovation. You make a plan of how it's actually going to happen. And so if you're here today and something that James has said to us has resonated with you, I would encourage you to be specific. That you say, okay, I need to, I need to do this. And, and one of that things is first and foremost is, is what James actually tells us, to humble ourselves, to confess that. Confession looks really, it doesn't look good at all. It looks silly when we confess. So I'm going to ask the band to come up and, and we're going we're to take communion in a second. But, but I want us to, to lead us through a prayer. Um, Now I'm just going to ask all of us, I don't, I don't, want, to, I don't want to embarrass anybody, but I think, I, I think we're, we need to do this. So I'm just going to ask you to stand, and if you feel comfortable, I want to pray a prayer, but what I'm going to ask you to do is, is to simply put your hands out upside down. And if you want to confess some of the things that, that, that you've been doing, I, I pray that you would just confess those, as I pray that you confess those, and allow those just to fall off. And then I'll finish with a prayer, and we'll invert our hands. So, Jesus, we just praise you and thank you that, that you love us so much. Father, there's not one of us in this room that, that thinks that we got it all together. And, Father, um, I know my own life, there's, there's times where I've put the world and things ahead of you. There's times where I haven't believed that you are good and gracious times I haven't believed that you're glorious, that you're gracious. So I encourage you right now just to to pray and and just ask God to to forgive you of those things and allow those things to just fall away, fall out of your hands, fall into the ground. They're no longer part of you. Father, I pray that you would just take these, that you would just allow these just symbolically to be removed, that, that today is, is a time where, where we together here are humbling ourselves and submitting ourselves to you, that through this, that we're resisting the devil, that we're saying no longer. And whatever you've talked to the Lord about, talked to Jesus about in prayer, I pray that you would just ask him what you want him to do, what you were called to do, Does he want you to talk to somebody? Does he want you to confess this to somebody? Does he want you to help make a plan with with other brothers and sisters in this family? And now I ask that you turn your hands over. And you just feel and just receive. No matter what you've done, that you would just receive more grace and more grace. Because that who that's who God is. Receive that grace. Jesus, I pray that you would pour your Holy Spirit upon everyone standing. Everyone whose arms are outstretched, that you would just fill them with your grace. That you just let them know how loved they are. Jesus, how you died for them. I pray that you would just take away the, the lies that they believe and that you would fill it with the grace that you have. Jesus, fill us now. Thank you being the good God that you are I pray that your Holy Spirit would guide us would direct us and that would fill us with more grace and more grace and when we mess up this week that you would give us more grace that we would know that your grace never ends and we pray all these things in the precious name of Jesus Amen We're going to go to the communion table now and it's a, a symbol every week that we use to remember the truth of the gospel that Jesus has paid for it all there's elements here of bread which symbolizes Jesus' body, that he was an actual man that came from heaven to earth, that his body was actually broken for us. And then the juice or the wine represents Jesus' blood that was spilled for us to forgive us of our sins. And that is just the best, greatest news going. And the reality is, when we come to say this, we're saying that Jesus, you are the answer. You are the, the answer to all of our hopes, all of our dreams, all of our problems. You are the one. And so I would just encourage you to come and, and to do this. If you, if you know Jesus, if you don't know yet Jesus, I would say that you would humble yourself and say, Jesus, I need a Savior, I'm a sinner, and I need you, and I know you're the only sinner. You can do that this morning, and I would encourage you to do that and come and take communion. And before we, we hear the ban and we, before we come and take communion, James was talking to a bunch of Christians who weren't getting along. And I would encourage this church, and this is going to get really uncomfortable in a second, that if there's something that you have against somebody in our church, in our family, could I ask you that you would just, that you'd make that right before you come and take communion? It's part of the, the purifying, part of cleansing. That there's, I want to make that right. If there is, if there isn't, then no. But I would encourage you to do that because I want to be part of a church family that that loves each other, that forgives one another, where none of us are perfect, but we always continue to look to the one who is, and that's Jesus. So come. If you need to do, talk to someone, talk to someone. If you need to come and confess, I pray that you'd come and confess. But then take communion and allow more grace and more grace to flow. flow over you. And maybe you're you're, hearing, it's not even a sin that you've got, like I can't really put one sin, but you know what? You know your heart's kind of grown cold. I pray that you would just even confess that and say, I want I want next year to be able to say, today my life is stronger and I'm in more love with Jesus today than I was last year at this time. Tell someone, make a plan and know that more grace and more grace will flow over your life. So let's take communion and let's give glory to Jesus.